Greetings, and welcome to Ashram's podcast series. Today, Catherine Schaefer, Manager, Coveris Education at Coveris, and Geraldine Amori, Vice President, Academic Affairs, also at Coveris, present a discussion about disclosure. Hello, I'm Kathy Schaefer. I serve on the Education Development Task Force for Ashram. I'm here with Jerry Amori having discussions about disclosure. Jerry has been the Ashram past president, is emeritus faculty with Ashram, and an active committee member. Thank you, Jerry, for being here today with me. Well, thank you, Kathy, for asking me. Today we're going to talk about disclosure, and I wanted to just start out with a basic question. What really is the purpose of disclosure? Well, Kathy, that's a great question. Just yesterday, someone was asking me, do you think disclosure really works? And I answered them by saying, what do you mean works? And to which that person responded, oh, the usual things, you know, reduces litigation, saves money, all of those kinds of things. And I hear those kinds of answers all the time. And I understand why we think that. 20 years ago when we started, that's how we needed to sell the notion of being open and communicating with patients about things that go wrong in care. For years and years, we were told not to. But I have to tell you that mitigating litigation and saving money is not the purpose of disclosure, nor the intended result. Disclosure is not a risk management technique to avoid litigation, no matter what anybody tells you. It is a process of communication that is designed to restore trust with patients and families. It gives patients and families the information that they need to make decisions. Some of the decisions might be whether to get further care or what kind of care or planning a funeral or even whether or not to seek compensation from us. And we need to remember the reason we have risk financing is to compensate people when we harm them. It's not to prevent them from getting compensation. Nonetheless, it's not intended to make them rich, and yet that's what we feel happens a lot and part of why we started thinking about why do we need to be honest with patients. Bottom line, disclosure is a patient-centered response to adverse occurrences. We want to maintain open communication and response to unanticipated outcomes to ensure our compliance with our regulatory entities, of course, and to avoid an adversarial relationship, which is made worse when people are angry with us because they feel we aren't telling them the truth. But it's not to reduce legal action, although often it is the side effect of maintaining trust. And it's a delightful side effect when it happens. Truly, you could say disclosure is to maintain that transparency and communication with patient and families. Correct. Excellent. Thank you, Jerry. Okay, that sort of leads into my next question, which is, what are the prerequisites for effective disclosure? What should be in place? (laughs) Well, Kathy, you're a nurse, right? Yeah. Well, many of our colleagues are nurses, and many of our nurse colleagues have learned the five rights. I'm a psychologist, and I have for you the four rights for effective disclosure. Right process, right skills, right personal attitudes, and right organizational attitudes. So let me go through the four rights for you. First of all, you need the right process, and that means that the organization has to have in place a means by which a provider who is involved in an anticipated outcome has somewhere to go to talk about it. A team or the risk management office or somewhere they can go to debrief with that person or persons in order to know what's the most effective communication to have with this patient and family about it. 
Help them sort their emotional feelings from the facts. Help them figure out what they need to say and do. We need C-suite commitment in order to have that kind of a robust support system in place. We need HR to have policies and procedures that support providers who go forth and engage in disclosure conversations. We need to have all kinds of post-event support for everyone who's involved, not just providers, not just nurses, everyone who's involved in the situation. So that's your processes. We need to have skills training. And hopefully disclosure is not something you'll have to do a lot of, but I need to tell you that nothing in our lives prepares us to be in a situation where we're having a discussion where we feel so vulnerable as we do when we go in and talk to a patient or family about something that is not right, that has gone wrong in the course of care, and for which we might have a part, even if we don't know, and even if we don't. Nothing prepares us for that. So skills training is important, but not just once. Since we don't do it often, we need to have these skills trainings regularly reinforced. And everyone throughout the organization, not just the physician, because I will tell you that housekeepers and our dietary folks, they don't know what we do to disclose. And by not understanding it, they can sabotage us inadvertently, thinking we aren't doing anything. So it's important for everybody in the organization to understand what it means to be transparent. The right personal attitude. When someone comes at you and you're having a discussion with a patient or family, most providers, if not all providers, are afraid of the reaction of the person with whom they're talking. They're going to be angry with me. They're going to cry. I won't know what to do. They're going to blame me. It's not my fault. And maybe it is my fault, or I don't know if it's my fault. The problem is that providers and others, all of us, humans, feel like they are losing power when they allow other people to be mad at them and they don't defend themselves. In fact, I'd like to propose that the opposite is true, that when we give away our power, we lose control of the situation. But holding power is not the same as you might think. That's where P3 comes in handy. P3 is hold on to your power. The way you do it is changing your perspective. And the perspective that you need to change is to remember that nothing is personal. These conversations and patients' and families' reactions are not about you, ever. What you are seeing and witnessing in these situations, although you may be feeling vulnerable, is that person reacting to the worst day of their lives. They are reacting to feeling afraid, helpless, unable to do anything, don't know who to blame, feel like they should have saved their family member, but they couldn't and they didn't, and by golly, you were right there when it happened, so it's your fault. But when we buy into that and get defensive, then we give away our power to them. Then we have something to argue about, you versus me. As long as we remain open and remember it's about them right now, it's about what's going on for them right now, we allow them to have their feelings, we validate those, but we maintain the ability to manage the conversation. That's right personal attitude. And right organizational attitude. The organization has to completely be in. The goal of disclosure is to regain and retain trust, not about dollars. I can't say that enough. And that has to be the prevailing attitude for doing it. The fact is you are probably going to save money if people are less angry with you, but that's not why you do it. It's like taking a medication and having a lovely side effect. Disclosure is the medication we take for having to tell patients about their care, for dealing with them transparently. 
Saving money and not going to court is a side effect that we might be able to experience. Also, we need to address the barriers in the organization's attitude, including the naysayers, and have just culture throughout. So, right process, right skills, right personal attitudes, and right organizational attitudes are the prerequisites for effective disclosure. That really sets the stage to make sure that you have everything in place for a disclosure conversation. So if I'm actually going to be carrying out a disclosure, what are some best practices? Okay. Well, I just gave you the four rights to be effective. Now I'm going to give you the four letters to have as your practices. And my letters for you are C, D, E, F, content, delivery, emotions, and finishing the conversation. So let's start with content. Content is three things to remember, just the facts. Please be sure that what you tell people at a time of emotional crisis, you know to be absolutely true and are not assuming anything. Most of us make assumptions all the time. We can't afford to in this situation. Whatever you tell someone in a time of crisis, they will remember forever and it will become true even if it's not. Number two thing about content is humans can only remember three facts at any given point in time, and especially in a time of crisis. Know before you go in the three things you want them to remember. Have those in your mind, get teach back on those three things, and then ask, what else would you like to know? One of the things I've seen in simulation a lot is when providers feel uncomfortable, they continue to talk and do all this medical stuff, and the patient is checking out on them. You don't want that. You want to make sure that the three things you believe they need to know are at least conveyed to them, and maybe more. And finally, the third fact about content is 65% to 75, depending on the study, of our content is delivered by our body language, not our words. So it is important to remember that we need to not become defensive in our body language and check out ourselves. Our anger will show, our frustration will show. Take a deep breath, relax your body. That patient and family needs to know that you're with them right now. Next comes delivery. Now, I've studied communication skills for, I won't even tell you how many years, and I would like to say to you that it's very simple to have appropriate body language for disclosure. And when you teach it, colleagues, please teach it this way. What do we do, Kathy, when little kids are hurt? Well, we want to comfort them. We want to get at their level. We want to speak softly and slowly. And we want to have eye contact and convey caring. Right. That's absolutely right. So here is what I'd like you to think about and all of our colleagues to think about. All of us psychologically, when we are in a time of stress and we are afraid, and mind you, when you're breaking bad news to someone, they're going to be afraid. All of us have that four-year-old, that 10-year-old inside of us that when we are frightened, we regress. We have that desire to be taken care of and protected the way we thought our parents did. So when you're telling something terrible, a disclosure to a 40-year-old, a 60-year-old, an 80-year-old, you're really not talking to them. You're talking to that 8-year-old inside of them that is feeling very vulnerable and scared right now. For you, it's another day at work, a bad day albeit, but it's another day in your career. For that person, it is a life-changing event and probably the worst day in their life. So we need to remember that we see through that grown-up body into the child inside, and that's who we're really addressing. That's delivery. Emotions, E, both ours and theirs. 
we can deal with their emotions if we go back to what I told you about in best practices, which is, remember, it's not about us. Allow them and validate their emotions, even if it seems silly to you. You know, you may think, well, this wasn't that bad an injury. Why are they making such a big fuss about it? Well, you're a healthcare person. You see all kinds of injuries. For them, it's terrible. And we need to validate that. We need to say, this feels awful for you. I know that. Validate their emotions. Allow them to have their emotions. Allow them to cry. Deal with our own emotions. Realize we feel vulnerable. Take a deep breath. And recognize we'll take care of ourselves later. Right now, we're there to be human with them. And if you feel your eyes welling with tears, that's okay. It's really okay. Finally, how do you finish the conversation? Let the patients and families know who they'll hear from next, what they can expect, how long it will be, what they think is going to happen. Give them your card. Tell them you understand they aren't going to think of anything right now and that they can call you anytime for answers. Do they want someone to be with them? Spiritual support, whatever. And then before you leave, sit quietly a couple of seconds. It is amazing what sitting still a couple of seconds before you get up to leave will convey to them about your time and care about them. So there you have your four best practices, your content, your delivery, your emotions, and finishing the conversation. Oh, Jerry, we're getting close to the end of this discussion about disclosure, but I want to ask one last question. If you could identify one key element that is the underpinning of an effective disclosure, what would that be? Empathy. A well-crafted expression of empathy that you feel genuinely can both acknowledge the suffering of the individual patient or family and provides an opportunity for you to heal and them to heal. You may have done nothing wrong or you may have done something wrong. It's too soon to apologize until you know so you probably won't be able to apologize at that initial meeting. But saying, I'm so sad this has happened, you must be terribly upset, so am I. Or this is sad and not what any of us wanted or expected. You know, we'll stand by you till we figure out what happened. Or we discussed this in the consent. You probably don't remember. I can understand that. It's hard to remember all that stuff. But even so, we don't like these things to happen. You know, the question that comes up to me is, is empathy the same as admitting culpability or guilt? No. You know, understanding patients' feelings is not the same thing as made a huge mistake, you know, you can sue my insurance company. It's not that. But realize that hurting, scared patients and families might interpret your empathy as culpability, and they might say you said you were vulnerable. Recognize that can happen. Just do the best you can do. The most important thing is if you don't feel it, don't say it, because it will come across as lying and insincere. But a sincere expression of genuine understanding that this is horrible for that person goes a long, long way. Thank you, Jerry, for sharing your wisdom and your experience with us on the topic of disclosure. Everything that you said is so valuable and will definitely be something I can apply to my practice. Well, good. Thank you for asking me again, Kathy. Thanks for listening. Please visit ashram.org for more information and educational offerings.